Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 23 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind. And on the show today, well, we'll talk about that was the week that was, of course. Grizzlies with a couple of games since we last visited. Game at Denver and then a game at Dallas as they are in the midst of a four-game road trip that will wrap up Wednesday night in San Antonio. As per usual, we've got Petey's points. Uh, my thoughts on the recent developments with the Memphis Grizzlies, and also have a thought on the Milwaukee Bucks and Grayson Allen and the flagrant foul against Alex Caruso. We'll talk about that in Petey's points. And then we wrap up the show with our friend of the program, part two of our conversation with Brian Fenley, former sports anchor here in Memphis, currently an update anchor at Fox Sports Radio in Los Angeles. He also calls uh, volleyball and tennis and works with UCLA coaches shows out there in Los Angeles. And he has also started a podcast series called Onto Something, in which he talks to sports media figures who are not on the microphone, who are not on camera. And it's a fascinating series, and we'll talk about how that came to be and some of the people that he has interviewed and some of the people that he's interviewed that I've worked with. And so we tell a lot of stories. And uh, it was a fun conversation to have. Hopefully, you will find it a fun conversation to listen to. But before we get to all that, we remind you that today's show is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission, to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. They've helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. Now, if you'd like more information, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. Uh, got a lot of stuff going on uh, at Hoop City right now. The Jack Jones League is starting to form now. Uh, they are going to have team registrations. They will also have individual placements that will be made Saturday, February the 19th at Memphis University School. Uh, so if your young person is interested in playing in the Jack Jones uh, Spring League, uh, go ahead and check it out at HoopCityBC.com. Uh, Like I said, they're also taking team registrations as well. Go to the website for all the information and uh, get your young person involved in this fantastic basketball and character building club. And as per usual, we thank them for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. With that, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. So Friday night, the Grizzlies go to Denver, and it's a place where the Grizzlies uh, just don't get a whole lot of success throughout the years. Uh, Denver Nuggets, pretty healthy overall, although obviously they've been missing Jamal Murray all season long with the left knee injury. Michael Porter Jr., back surgery, he's done for the year. But by and large, I mean, Denver has a a pretty solid starting five with Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Nikola Jokic, Will Barton, Monte Morris in the backcourt. Denver also making a deal to get Bryn Forbes in. Denver wanting a little bit more outside shooting uh, for their basketball team. Grizzlies get off to a phenomenal start in the first quarter in Denver. John Morant goes for 12 points, two assists, five of seven shooting. And how about this? The Grizzlies, without Desmond Bain, shoot seven of eight from three in the first quarter. Good thing they did because Denver went four of eight, and the Grizzlies put up 37 in the first quarter, including 14 in the paint. So the inside-outside thing is definitely working for the Grizzlies. And oh, by the way, in case you weren't aware, Grizzlies without Tyus Jones, they're without Kyle Anderson, and they're without Desmond Bain 
as well, not available due to health and safety protocols. And of course, you're missing Dylan Brooks with the ankle injury. Uh, second quarter Nuggets make a little bit of a comeback, and it's a five-point game at halftime, 68-63. But Morant now with consecutive double-figure scoring quarters, 12 in the first, 11 in the second quarter, 23 for the first half. Nikola Jokic, a little on the quiet side. Uh, he only had two in the first quarter, finishes the first half with 10. Monte Morris with 13, and Monte Morris, three of four from beyond the arc. And the Grizzlies, by halftime, they had made 10 threes already, and the Grizzlies only average about 11 or 12 made threes per game, so they've got 10 at halftime. Uh, big first half for them. Zaire Williams getting the start, very efficient, 4 of 5 from the floor, 2 of 3 from 3, and the rookie with 10 first-half points. Grizzlies at the break shooting 53% from the floor, and they're able to hold off Denver in the third quarter. Morant with 13 more. In the third quarter, 36 through three quarters, DeAnthony Melton comes up with eight in the third quarter. Now, you know, Melt coming back off of health and safety protocols was not shooting it particularly well, but he started to get the range here and also contributing in other ways, had seven rebounds through three quarters. Meanwhile, all five Nugget starters in double figures through three quarters, the bench gave them zero in the third quarter. Not a particularly deep bench necessarily. Bryn Forbes, Facundo Campazzo coming off the bench. Bones Highland uh, scoreless through three quarters. Zeke Naji had eight points through three quarters, and most of those coming from the free throw line. Uh, Grizzlies again in the fourth quarter just made enough plays down the stretch to hold off the Nuggets 122 to 118. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. finishing with 20 points, nine in the fourth quarter. Uh, John Morant, only two points. He was more of a facilitator in the final period. Only had one assist, however, in the fourth, and it was to Jaron Jackson Jr. who hit a crucial three as the Grizzlies would go on to win 122-118. to 118. Grizzlies shot a remarkable 44% from three. The Grizzlies now 10-0 when they shoot 40% or better from three, and they needed all that because uh, Denver wasn't far behind. Denver shot 41% from downtown. Key in this game, Grizzlies got to the free throw line 17 more times. Now, part of that was Michael Malone going to uh, Hacken Adams and uh, also Brandon Clark. Uh, it worked with Adams, did not work with Clark. Uh, but DeAnthony Melton with 21 points off the bench. Fantastic game from him. Brandon Clark, only six points, but was a plus 16 off the bench. Meanwhile, like I said, Melton had 21 off the bench. Denver had a grand total of 17 off the bench. Nine by Forbes, eight by Najee. Highland and Compazzo failed to score. DeMarcus Cousins, who had been signed to a 10-day contract earlier, did not appear in the game. And the Grizzlies win it, and they get to 32-16. and 16. And a big win on Friday night, I thought, for the Grizzlies. As shorthanded as they were against the Denver team, that is pretty healthy. And the Grizzlies clinched the season series three games to none over the Denver Nuggets. And uh, I just thought it was a very, very solid win for the Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies go to Dallas on Sunday. And you know that Dallas has been playing really good basketball as of late. They were wrapping up a five-game homestand. They were 3-1 and one on the homestand. And the only loss was to Phoenix. And uh, they come in off that loss to Phoenix. And again, the Grizzlies are shorthanded. They're even more shorthanded because Brandon Clark not available to play due to a bad back. Things did not get off to a good start for the Grizzlies. 
Shot just 26% in the first quarter. Morant had nine, but the Grizzlies down 24-16 after one quarter. Porzingis was six. Doncic was seven early. And the bottom line is this, this game just really didn't get a whole lot better for the Grizzlies. And the and in the final analysis, simply couldn't make shots. Uh, they finished the game at 37%, uh, and that's because they had a, a pretty decent fourth quarter. John Morant finishing with a double-double, 35 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists, but did turn it over seven times. Uh, it was a matter that Dallas had really good defense. They're not known as a rim-protecting team. Kristaps Porzingis with six blocks. Meanwhile, Jaron Jackson Jr. did not have a block. Uh, you just would not have imagined that to be the case, that Porzingis would have six and Jaron would have zero. You marvel at Luka Doncic, what he is able to do, one assist shy of his 42nd career triple-double. 37, 11 boards, nine assists, three steals, and a block shot. Uh, he is a phenomenal player, and of that there is no doubt. So Dallas wins it 104-91. to They go wire to wire, leading by as many as 22 points in this game. Grizzlies fall to 32-17. and The Mavericks now 27-20 and on the season. Mavericks take the season series three games to one. Tiebreaker, they own it. Will it matter? Don't know at this point. A lot of basketball yet to be played. Grizzlies still with a lead over Dallas in the Southwest Division of four games. They came in with a five-game advantage. Uh, Grizzlies, uh, two games behind Golden State, entering a Sunday night's action uh, in the chase for the second seed. This could come down to a situation, and this could be a playoff series. I could see very easily Dallas-Memphis being a 4-5 series and home court advantage, if they should end uh, in a tie for the fourth seed, uh, would go to Dallas because they take the season series. This would be a good playoff series, and I said this on Grizzlies Live after the game, that this would be a very interesting series if everybody were healthy. This was a series where Morant missed two games, Doncic missed a game, Porzingis missed a couple of games, Neither team in any of the four games had their regular rotation available to them. Um, fact of the matter is, the, the game that the Grizzlies lost at home, the second one that they lost, the 11-game winning streak coming to an end, uh, Grizzlies were playing eight games in 12 days. They looked tired. Uh, jump shots came up short. Grizzlies were very shorthanded on Sunday. They got the shots that they wanted, but they failed to fall. And the bottom line is, uh, you don't make shots against Dallas, you're not going to win. Dallas one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. So the Grizzlies now one and two on this road trip. They have a chance to split. They go to San Antonio on Wednesday night. Grizzlies will have a couple of days off. I don't know at the time I'm recording this whether or not the Grizzlies will get Desmond Bain or Kyle Anderson. I, I don't know, or Tyus Jones. I don't know if they're going to get any of those guys back. Hopefully, they will clear protocols. Don't know. We'll keep our fingers crossed for Wednesday, and we'll have more on that when we visit again later in the week on Thursday. And that does it for That Was the Week That Was. All right, so now let's get to some PD's points. Uh, the Denver game, number one. To me, this was one of the better wins of the season. Obviously, the win at Golden State, the comeback, fantastic. Home win against Golden State, fabulous. Uh, win on the road at Phoenix, great. Win on the road at Utah, great. 
This is also a really good win because, again, you don't have Tyus Jones. You don't have Dylan Brooks. You don't have Desmond Bain. You don't have Kyle Anderson. So you're missing your Swiss Army knife, your best perimeter defender, your best shooter, and a very valuable backup point guard who leads the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. You are missing those pieces, and you go up against a Denver team that's playing pretty decent basketball right now and an MVP candidate in Nikola Jokic, and you end up winning the basketball game and controlling the vast majority of the game and dealing with a situation where Michael Malone is pulling out all the stops. He is going to the hack of Steven Adams, trying to trying to get possession and trying to get essentially a turnover if Adams misses a couple of free throws. Worked with Adams, did not work with Brandon Clark. Kudos to Michael Malone for pushing every button he possibly could to try and get that win. But the Grizzlies go into a building where they rarely, if ever, win. And they pull out a win at altitude uh, against a good Denver team. To me, one of the best wins of the season, particularly when you consider the circumstances and who you are missing. And tip of the cap to DeAnthony Melton, who had struggled coming back from COVID, has one of the better games of the season for him, 21 points, and a big night rebounding the basketball as well. PD's point number two, the Dallas game. Look, this, this was a game where the Grizzlies and the guys they were missing it really mattered. You needed Desmond Bain, who on the earlier visit to Dallas went for a then career high 29 points. Don't have him. Don't have Tyus Jones. So much more has to fall on the shoulders of John Morant. And John Morant said it after the Denver game when Rob Fisher talked to him on, on Grizzlies Live postgame. He says, look, I know that a lot more is falling on my shoulders. I have to carry more of the load. Well, he has responded with three consecutive 30-point games on the road this kid has warrior mentality written all over him. Uh, the Grizzlies, I mean, the, the opportunity to win the game in the fourth quarter against Dallas was, was fairly slim. But the Grizzlies, knowing that they have two days off, Taylor Jenkins said, you know what? Go out and play. See what you can get done. And Morant played 41 and a half minutes and played all but maybe a few seconds of the second half. The kid was relentless. He attacked the rack. Uh, he did everything in his power to try to help his team win. He was the leading rebounder in the game. 13 rebounds for Morant in Dallas. He was the leading rebounder in the game. And how about this? The two all-star candidates, the two lead guards for their teams, were the leading rebounders in that game. Morant had 13. Doncic had 11. Crazy, crazy, crazy talented guys. We'll see both of them in Cleveland. The other thing about John Morant that I will say is this. I've been with the Grizzlies franchise since 2004. This is really and truly, I believe, the first time they have had an alpha dog on this team. Someone who is the unquestioned leader. Someone who can rule the locker room. Someone who can say, I will put this team on my shoulders. You follow me. And not only do it with his performance, but do it with his personality. I have felt forever that if you are going to have a great team and aspire to a championship, you have to have an alpha dog. Lakers had Kobe Bryant. LeBron James, obviously, wherever he has been, he's been the alpha. You've not only had generational basketball talent, but you've also had the personality and you've also had that warrior mindset that you can take a game over by yourself, and you are the man. There is zero question. And for me, this is the first time 
that the Grizzlies have had that alpha dog, that everything you defer to that guy because he is the guy. Core four, great. But would you pick an alpha out of that four? Not really. I mean, the four guys that played really well together, guys that were leaders in their own way, but would you pick one of those and say, yeah, he's the alpha? No, I don't, I don't think so. Pau Gasol, love his game. Love the person, not an alpha. This is what the Grizzlies have with John Morant that they have never had in their franchise history. The warrior mentality, the alpha dog, that's John Morant. Generational talent from a basketball standpoint, off the charts basketball IQ, uh, and an unquestioned alpha dog. And he is the guy that gives the Grizzlies the best opportunity to aspire to really, really great heights. Final Petey's point. I know you've all seen it. Grayson Allen, flagrant foul against Alex Caruso of the Chicago Bulls. Caruso is airborne. Grayson hits him with both arms, as it turns out. A double hit on the arm. Uh, Caruso goes flying, lands on his hip, breaks his wrist. Flagrant foul penalty to immediate ejection. Exactly the correct call. Airborne player, excessive, unnecessary, flagrant foul penalty too. So everybody is speculating now what happens to Grayson Allen. Does he get suspended? How long does he get suspended? Remember that a flagrant foul penalty too, it comes with an automatic ejection. It does not come with an automatic suspension. Depends on the severity of the flagrant foul penalty too. This is a situation where Caruso breaks his wrist. He's out for four to six weeks. And he's been a major part of the Chicago Bulls' success and just came back from injury. NBA comes down with a one-game suspension. Personally, I thought it was a little light, given the fact that now Caruso is going to be out for four to six weeks. I would have thought two games, maybe if you really, really want to crack the whip, maybe you go with three. But definitely, I thought it was suspension-worthy. A lot of people unhappy. You know, it's Grayson Allen, and that adds a whole nother layer of controversy to this because of, because of his history. In any event, one-game suspension. Some people not happy with it. The Milwaukee Bucks took the highly unusual step. I've never seen this before. Where they put out a public statement Sunday afternoon saying, we disagree with the NBA suspending Grayson Allen. I understand the theory of what the Bucks are trying to do, which is to say publicly, hey, Grayson Allen, we support you which is not a real good look when you consider that his actions injured another player in the division and he'll be out four to six weeks. It's not a good look to do that publicly. If you want to say to Grayson Allen publicly, if you want to take him behind closed doors and say, you know what, we don't think you should have gotten suspended. It's BS. You know, the, the league is out to get you. Whatever you want to say. Say it to Grayson Allen in private. Why, why would you put that out in public where basically you are saying, hey, we stand behind you, you injured a player and we're mad at the league that they suspended you. I, I just, it just boggles the mind why you would feel the need to go out publicly and say that makes zero sense, zero sense. I grew up with the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm a huge Bucks fan when I'm not rooting for the Grizzlies. I just don't see where that makes any sense whatsoever. So there you go. I'm done. <laughs> That's Petey's points for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. We'll get to Brian Fenley and our friend of the program segment in a moment. Talk about his podcast series. But first, we tell you that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs. Sadly, personal note. 
Packers not one of them. That means only four teams are left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. As we count down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5, and you'll get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Now, if you're not a new customer, it's okay. You can experience the conference championship with same-game parlays. That's right. Combine multiple bets for the same game for a bigger payout. Now, the more legs you add, of course, the more money you can win. DraftKings, we all know it. It's safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 rager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. Let's get to our friend of the program. Uh, long conversation I had with Brian Fenley. So this is part two of that conversation. For those of you in Memphis, you may remember Brian was a sports anchor at Local 24 here in Memphis. Uh, left that job, went back to his native Southern California, started working for Fox Sports Radio, does a lot of stuff. Works with the USTA uh, on tennis tournaments, does uh, volleyball, also does coaches show for UCLA football and basketball. But most intriguing to me, he has started a remarkable podcast series. It's on a YouTube channel. He'll tell you more about it, uh, where he talks with sports media figures who are not on camera and who are not behind the microphone. And it's fascinating to hear all these stories, to make all these connections. Brian has talked to a number of people that uh, I know and have worked with. And uh, so this is, it kind of gets into extended story time here. But I, like I said earlier, it was a fun conversation. It was a fun conversation for us to have. I hope it's a fun conversation for you to listen to. Here's Brian Fenley, our friend of the program. And I've got a story for you because you had Meg Aronowitz on. Yes. Who, who I worked, I worked with Meg in the early days of the SEC Network, doing volleyball, like you. And ESPN's decision was, we're going to create on-campus studios, and we're going to have students eventually handle these broadcasts. And one of the first ones, they were, they were transitioning to having a control room at Alabama. And I was going to call the match. Meg was going to produce it. And there were going to be students and very inexperienced people, whether it's cameras, replay, whatever, graphics, they were going to be involved. This was kind of like we're, we're launching the boat. We we're going to push it out of the slip, and we hope that it doesn't sink. And Meg, Meg wanted me to be there because she knew that she could count on me to do you know, a good job with play-by-play. The telecast, it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't <laughs> as good as Meg would have wanted it to be. It not, was not as good as I would have wanted it to be. I mean, I, I was fine with the call, but again, you know, the cameras were off, the replays were a little off, the graphics were a little off. And again, you know, the only way you get better at this is to have reps. And if you're going to get inexperienced people, students, they're going to learn and they're going to be good. And the SEC network has evolved to a point now where it's it's much better. But this was, you know, like day one. And I remember we get off we got off the air and I go back to the production truck. And uh, you know, Meg has this look like I've just been through, you know, a real <laughs> battle with this thing. 
And she just looks at me and she says, you know something, Pete? I like beer. <laughs> and, and, and so it's like, all right, we're going back to the hotel. We're, we're going to have a drink because this, this, this didn't go all that well. But she's super talented, big fan of the stick and ball sports, and has done an amazing job at ESPN. When you're basically tasked with create a network, and to create a network where we're going to have students and relatively inexperienced people do this because we're going to put control room in every SEC school, that's a massive undertaking. And um, so that that's my mega Ronowitz story. What what's what what did you get out of the conversation that you found most compelling or enjoyable? Wow, that's a great question, Pete. From learning more about her personal side, learning about her love of beagles. Yes, the Charlotte think, Beagle Bunch. You, yes. Yeah. So if if you go in, into that. And then learning about, and her wife is so inspiring as well. And so learning about how each other, they boost each other up and, and how they cheer each other on. And I, I think it is, is a fabulous thing in learning about that. And then kind of taking me through her story and how the first day she got to ESPN, she'd come over from, I believe, CNN. And there was this humongous blizzard. And there was really nobody in Bristol. There were very few people were calling out. They weren't there. And so she got there and she just started doing stuff. And it just, there's something about her that you knew that she was going to be really special. And she took a foot in the door at ESPN. And the thing that what I've noticed about her is she's maximized her experiences everywhere. And now, like you said, being such a, advocate of the SEC network and even at ACC and what she does in conjunction with the great, you know, the Pat Lowry and Amy Rosenfeld, all the, all these great people is that you have to understand that for Meg, this is, this was, this is, this is probably the most interesting thing. So I, I found out that Meg, she loves softball, as you know, she played in college, but she first before playing softball, she played little league baseball, right? Because the, because there wasn't softball available yeah. to her as a girl. Yeah. So I said to her, and she didn't make this connection, and then she had this kind of like aha moment, like epiphany moment, in that how much I asked her, how much Meg do you take those early days being outnumbered by boys and standing up for yourself and being great at what you do from little league, and then translating that into the world of sports media when you are in rooms and you're outnumbered by men, it's just like, you know what? I didn't really think about that, but I have no qualms about speaking up. And she's like, you know what? That's probably connected to my little league baseball days when I was playing and outnumbered by the boys. And I made that connection. And I thought that was fascinating because ever since she has been on the forefront of so many projects and as an inspiration for women, but certainly an inspiration to all of us and how I look at her as a pioneer. And I know certainly you would agree with me. Yeah. And also, I, did you know that I worked with Pat Lowry? So I got an email from Pat who said she listened to my interview with you and told me that you guys <laughs> used to work together. Yeah, it was, it was funny. We joined the Trailblazers at the same wow. at the very same time. And she had started in video production or one of her early jobs. She was with NASA TV. I don't know if she told you that, but she was with NASA TV. And I remember when I got oh. hired, 
Harry Hutt, who hired me in Portland, said, yeah, we're moving you in and we're moving this Patricia Lowry in. She's got a ton of video editing, editing equipment that we have to move. And, uh, and he, he mentioned that. And we have a shared love of the space program. And, uh, and, and that's been part of it. And, in fact, she and I worked on some things for Discovery Channel together. Wow. So there, there, there are some vignettes that I actually wrote for Discovery Channel because Pat asked me to. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's amazing how all, all these connections, uh, come together. But it, it really is amazing because everybody has a story. Yeah. Whether you're an Elvis operator, a graphics operator, or, or whoever, uh, there are great stories to tell about the business of what we do, which is, as, as you point out, and rightly so, those of us who are on camera, those of us who are holding microphones, everybody knows who we are, but nobody knows. Well, some people around Memphis know who Tom Hewitt is and people around yes. the NBA know who Tom Hewitt is, but a lot of people, they have no clue. And it's like, Tom Hewitt has been directing the Grizzlies since day one. Tom Hewitt yes. used to direct the NBA on TNT. Tom Hewitt has worked multiple Olympics. And, uh, I know he's a great talker because I sit next to him on the airplane. Uh, <laughs> so, so g- give me your best Tom Hewitt story. So. Speaking of being a good talker, I think he set a record for longest podcast. So I, <laughs> I have, I am not shocked at all. I think what my most interesting part of it was he, among all the accomplishments and accolades and the events he's covered, you, you pointed out the Olympics and his long time with the Grizzlies. He was a part of the broadcast, Pete, when Michigan lost to Appalachian State in college right, football. Big Ten Network, yeah. Yeah, and that was when the Big Ten Network was just getting started. And so explaining the way in which they put on that broadcast and and how he made key decisions to make sure that they'd capture the emotion of the moment, which was had to have been, Pete, if you look at the hierarchy of biggest upsets in college football history, that has to be at the in the top. 10, at least in my lifetime, without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. And to hear the way in which they noticed how Michigan was just sort of fading away and how they focused their cameras and attention on Appalachian state at the end and the way in which that they captured the moment, right? When that game ended was a fascinating listen to be a part of the production truck and listen to those conversations as, as Tom is talking about how he's wanting to cover something with his associate producers and directors and everybody in that room was really compelling stuff because you have, you've been a part Pete of some really fascinating moments in sports history. And for Tom, I think that had to be one of his top five moments for for sure. Uh, with, without a doubt. And I'll give you another, the circle is complete story. I met Tom before I was with the Grizzlies. Ah. We were both working in the International Broadcast Center in Athens in 2004 for NBC. The director of broadcasting at the time, Randy Stevens, had interviewed me, and I had gone to Athens to work the Olympics. I called Team Handball and Judo. Tom was producing, I think, field hockey, and we were calling it off-monitor at the International Broadcast Center. Randy Stevens had more or less made the decision that he was going to hire me to be the radio voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, as Matt Devlin had moved on to Charlotte, Don Poyer was being moved to television. And Randy Stevens calls Tom in Athens and said, hey, do you know this Pete Pranica guy? Tom's going to like, 
yeah, he's 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 right over he's over my shoulder. He's, he's working here. And uh, and and you know that was all I knew. That like for the first week that I was in Athens was Tom was the guy from Pittsburgh who talked a lot. You know, and was producing field hockey with Spiro Didis, I think he was calling it. And and I was working with Gord Cutler, a different producer on on my sports. And Randy's like, yeah, I think we're going to hire him, and he's working with you. Do you know that? And Tom's like, no, I have, I have no idea. So it, it's amazing how many connections there are um, in this world. And and I, I I salute you for bringing some positivity to a world that desperately needs it, uh, and something that we can all something that we can all rally around. Now, for those of those people who want to check out the podcast or they want to go to the archives and see all the different episodes and, and all that, where do they go? Yeah, so the best thing to do is probably if you follow me on Twitter, at Brian Fenley, I have a link, that little attached portion of the tweet at the top. The first tweet you'll see on Twitter is a link to the YouTube channel where you can peruse from, from Pete Pranica to... Like we mentioned, Tom Hewitt, director extraordinaire. So many people at major sporting networks and athletes. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a hodgepodge. But like you pointed out, Pete, I'm all about telling the untold stories. People don't understand, and you know because you see it every day when you're broadcasting, but the long hours that, let's see, a camera grip, and all of these people and what they do behind the scenes and the commitments and how that affects their families and how they have to make this all happen and getting turned down and and staying with it and being persistent and then getting a big break. Like These are the stories I want to harness. And people, there's a lot of people that have a story that they want to tell. They don't have an outlet for it. And I'm grateful that they think of me and, and want to come on and share it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're great stories. I think about the story of Sandy Montag who has become, you know, the, the super agent and he went to Syracuse and along with, you know, a hundred other guys and gals thought they were going to be great sportscasters. And he realized, you know what, this is kind of a crowded field. Maybe I should try doing something else. And he started out being a statistician and a runner. And that's where he befriended John Madden. And ultimately Sandy Montag became his agent and and then became uber agent and now anybody who's anybody is represented by sandy montag it's it's a it's just an amazing amazing business and i want to and one other thing about tom hewitt we're talking about this of course i went to notre dame between 82 and 86 and then worked there for a number of years afterwards and i remember in those days before notre dame had the nbc contract they had a contract with tcs metro sports out of pennsylvania and harry callis would call the games with George Connor. <laughs> and as a student, you know, and I, I did the games as a student. And so I would go and I'd visit with Harry Callis, you know, in, in the TV booth. Well, they were doing it on replay. The local NBC affiliate would do the home games, but they would do this replay. They would cut it up as they did in the old days with Lindsey Nelson, and then they would syndicate it so that on Sunday mornings after church, people would go and they'd watch the Notre Dame replay with Harry Callis and George Connor. Tom Hewitt ran TCS Metro Sports. Wow. So he was on campus all those years. I was there doing Notre Dame football for the replay, and I was doing it for student radio. And, you know, we had no idea. And here we are, you know, 30-some years later, we're working together. Wow. Which, which is why I tell young broadcasters when they ask me, and I, I got a lot of demo reels and a lot of queries during the pandemic, and I would always say, Networking is important because you have absolutely zero idea 
that the person you are talking to right now in 10 years could be your boss. You could be their boss in 10 years. You have no idea. And so that's why networking is important. And to present yourself as someone who is willing to outwork anybody, to be detail-oriented, and to be reliable and dependable and a good teammate. I said, anytime that you are around anybody in the business, and it doesn't matter what role they play, they could be a runner on a network show. Someday that runner could be running the network. So it, you know, whatever connections you make, make sure that they are good connections and you always present yourself in the best possible light. Not simply that you want to get something from this person, yes. but just being a good person. And ultimately, you know, at, at, at some point, you, you have absolutely no idea because the connections, as, as you've illustrated in your podcast, and as we've talked about during this podcast, the connections you make are invaluable. And uh, I, I think that that is as big a part of this as anything. On the topic of connections, you brought up a great point. A lot of it, and this is, I'm learning along the way, but it's, you don't just meet somebody and all of a sudden they think of you and you're hired. Like, a lo- like you said, a lot of these relationships have to be cultivated over time. You have to be patient. You have to maintain the relationship, continue to put out good work. And like you said, maybe five to 10 years after meeting that person, the opportunity is right and it will arise. But for those who think that it's just, I'm going to fire off this network. Hey, what do you have? That's not how it works. You know, if people, you know, I could teach and Pete, I'm sure you could too with these experiences, how do the art, it's more like a science of reaching out and how you do that the right way. Like I will never ask anything now. Like when, when reaching out, it's never what there's nothing about that at all. It's most importantly, I want to tell their stories. I want to know about them. Now, if five five years later they think of me, that's wonderful. But if if you want to establish a communication flow between somebody else, the worst thing to do, as you know, is to say, hi, so-and-so, my name is blank. Here's my reel. Do you have a job open for me? Like, right. Like, come and on now. You know, Pete, <laughs> nobody's going to answer that. I mean, it's that's not the way to go. But I'm sure you've seen that. You get a lot of emails like that. I have people on LinkedIn who reach out to me and, and, and ask stuff like that. And maybe it's just experience and me being an empath and in, in, in sort of tuning in to, to how the best way to, to gain a, a communication with somebody else. But a lot of people, I think, swing and miss because they don't know the right way to reach out. That comes across as humble, not needy. And that comes with experience, you know, for, for, for me. But I think that a lot of people hurt themselves by the way they attempt to reach out. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point. I think the other piece of it is it's, it's not all that dissimilar from dating, for example. Yeah. Show that you are interested in the other person's story. Yes. Let the other person tell you their story, what they're all about. And then at some point, you will find some connection point. But And, and I'm sure, look, when I was coming out of college, I'm sure it was, I've got a tape. <laughs> Will yeah, you listen to my sure. tape, please? Because yeah. that, that, that was networking 
back in the day. Uh, but now, because the job field is so much more crowded, because now every high school has a streaming deal for football and basketball and things like that, so that there, there are many more opportunities for young broadcasters. When I came up, I was really lucky. Kevin Harlan and I went to the same high school. Oh, wow. We, we had a 10-watt radio station. So we were now Kevin is five years older than I am. So we weren't working together. I followed him, but that's how we got started. We were doing high school play by play for our school when we were 15, 16 years old. And so then when he went to Kansas, I went to Notre Dame. We had a leg up in student radio and we had, you know, years, a couple of years of reps under our belt before we went to college. And then we had the opportunity to kind of polish ourselves a little bit and then make whatever connections that we could uh, in, in order to get to the next level. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the field is much more crowded these days. Uh, you know, a lot of people are doing uh, a, a games and, and, you know, studio shows because th- there's simply more inventory there. There's more opportunity there. I mean, I, I was getting reels from guys doing D3 football which 20 years ago, D3 football was radio and, and there was no television. So, yeah. uh, so the, world, the world has drastically changed. One last thing for you, Brian. Let's circle back to Memphis. Uh, you got a chance. Ole Miss was really good at the time. The Grizzlies yes. uh, had, 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 their, uh, had a period of, of good play while you were here. What do you remember most about Memphis? That's a great question, Pete. And as much as I remember the Grizzlies and seeing you, and own this. And I love going down, you know, they had it rolling with, with Hugh Freeze back then. I think some of the most rewarding experience had to be going to the high schools and watching the talent and telling stories about these kids and seeing so many of them, like, for example, Pete, like Tony Pollard, who I covered in high school in Memphis, he's on the Cowboys. Right. And there are stories after stories of athletes who I had the privilege of covering who have gone on to play high level division one football. I watch on television and are now in the NFL making their way to the NBA. And I had more fun going to those practices and in the summer when football season was getting going and you know, those Memphis summers and me sweating profusely and running out there logging my all my gear i got the camera the tripod and everything and sweating 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 but going out there and telling these stories like i remember i'll tell you this story pete i was at so when whitehaven high school won the the state championship i was at their present trophy presentation afterwards and a kid came up to me a student at whitehaven and he goes he says, thank you. And I said, I was in this, they did this in like this auditorium at school. I said, thank you for what? He said, a lot of us here at Whitehaven look at you for hope and inspiration. And I just want to tell you, thank you for doing what you do. Wow. That, 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 is, that is powerful. All, that is all I needed to hear. And to me, Pete, that among all the grateful things I am, in terms of being able to cover in Memphis from your Grizzlies and and other stuff, hearing that made those close to three years, everything to me, that that was the, the most important part of it. 
Cool. Great way to end our, uh, our chat. <laughs> yeah. Brian, uh, man, I appreciate the time. Kudos yes. to you for uh, doing all you do and with UCLA and USTA and College Volleyball and Fox Sports Radio Network. Good to reconnect with you. And uh, maybe we need to do an online class. You and me, we can do an online class for young broadcasters about how to network and, and how to get yes. your stuff out there. Pete, so there I would you, love it. Business idea. Yeah. I would love it, and one of these days, you get back out to L.A., lunch is on me. All right. It's a deal. It's a deal. I got, uh, let's see, Spago, uh, Ocean Prime, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're set. We're set. Thank you, Brian. Long conversation with Brian, but a, a fun conversation. I, I hope that, uh, that you found that good content. Speaking of which, by the way, leave us a review. Give us a rating. And subscribe to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. This has been Episode 23 of Season 2. Our thanks to Hoop City Basketball Club and DraftKings Sportsbook for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. And we thank you for listening, for rating, and for uh, leaving a comment or two or ten. We'll be back with you later in the week. We'll recap the road trip for the Grizzlies. And then the Grizzlies, a couple of games at home before they start the month of February on the road. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 